0: Welcome to the Craft of Shadows podcast, based on the novel The Jewel of Nineveh by Devish Basiti. Discover new content and subscribe to receive updates at craftofshadows.com. Now, on with the show. Chapter 1 God's Finger Two days ago. The sandstorm that had plagued the caravan for two days finally abated, and the great crimson sails were unfurled, catching the wind and urging the vehicle ahead as they filled. The odour of hot animals drifted from the camel train, and they bleated their relief as the strain on their leashes slackened. The sand barge lurched forward, heading for the mid-morning sun, Two barefoot turban boys yelped and chattered as they trimmed the rigging and swung precariously from the boom. With every degree higher, the sun rose, the heat in the air soared, and a long shadow was cast down the ridge behind them. The sand was striated with ripples it made as the wake cascaded down the dunes. Still far in the distance, a dark spot on the horizon indicated their ultimate destination. The thief mused that while slowing their progress, the sandstorm had also protected them from roving gangs of brigands, or worse, patrolling packs of army scouts. The wars had left mobilised army units from different cities loose and hungry for action and pillage. His lips were flecked with sand and his tongue flicked against them. He stood up on the rolling planks of the desert train, uncoiled the cloth he'd wrapped around his head and shook out his sleeveless black tunic. The sand had gritted and chaffed and he felt relief as he brushed himself off. But after a few minutes stripped to the waist, he knew the refugees were looking at the lattice of scars on his body looking at the long knife sheathed at his hip and at the leather vambraces on his forearms. All very unusual for one who was just old enough to be called a man. He redressed. The sun had been starting to redden his pale skin. That was the main reason he decided. Are we going to make it there today? The bearded man who always kept his arm around the shoulders of the veiled woman he travelled with, frowned at the shadow rising from the horizon. The thief glanced at the Bedouin outriders. They had ceased their familiar weary circling, their heads scanning from side to side, looking for danger, and now were riding along in pairs, exchanging brief outbursts of banter. I think the worst is over. Er has... Un- Strong army. They'll keep the peace for now. Will the war come here too? The thief shrugged. War is everywhere these days. The emperor doesn't care about local squabbles. Do what I do. When trouble comes, move on to somewhere else. The veiled woman whispered something to the protective man, who nodded in response and gave her a squeeze. She nuzzled into his shoulder and fell silent again. A low growl rumbled from the thief. He placed a hand against the ache in his stomach, feeling lightheadedness instead of appetite. He glanced over his shoulder to the horizon beyond their trail in the sand. Then he cursed his qualms. They can't still be chasing. The silhouette in the distance kept growing, higher and higher as they made their way eastward with the snapping of the sails and the bickering of the camels. A shaft rising out of the desert. As the sun passed its zenith, the pillar was suddenly illuminated and the sheer rock became visible. It was not perfectly smooth, not perfectly round, and it tapered toward the tip. It was a striking landmark, and the thief had never seen anything like it, though it matched perfectly the fantastical descriptions he'd been given. This is a strange place. Then again, so many of them are. Still, there should be opportunities like any other city. Careless people who may lose their purses. Cheeky women who will have fun for a few coins. His memories dimmed the hunger and he chuckled. So many angry merchants losing their goods and the honour of their daughters, all more reasons for him to move on when armies arrived. The sea of sand flattened in front as they crested the final dune. A vast arid basin lay before them, but spread across the plain was a network of, of canals and aqueducts. Leading from a powerful and wide river, a silver web of irrigation sparkling in the sunlight and dividing the land up into fields and farms, lush, green and inviting to the desert travellers. The farmland surrounded a great mound of a city, fortified walls and watchtowers visible at this distance. Behind them, more towers and high spires rising in height towards the centre of the city, bristled around the base of God's finger, its altitude dwarfing them all. The wind slackened and the sails dropped. The camels brayed as they were urged forward, lashing crops stinging their hindquarters and once again taking the whole load against their leashes. As they passed through the fields, keening women with brown eyes, dressed in brightly patterned robes, ran to meet them, bearing baskets of produce on their heads. After so many days in the desert, the refugees could smell the water in the air. They gawked at the glistening fruit and thrust copper coins into outstretched brown palms, then sat back to refresh themselves on melons and plums. Even the woman unveiled herself to eat but turned demurely away to hide her face. The bearded man turned to the thief, who had sat alone scrutinising the approaching city, and handed him a slice of watermelon. The thief blinked at the gentle courtesy of the stranger, murmured his thanks, and set to devour the sweet red flesh, each bite only half-chewed before he swallowed juices trickling down his chin. No man should go hungry. The man quoted it solemnly, as if from scripture. The thief did not recognise the quotation, but agreed with the sentiment. He'd gone hungry many times, and would no doubt again in the future, but it was his hunger as a child that had fueled the learning of his trade. Charity, he had learned, was a very rare thing. The disk of the sun continued to roll across the sky, scorching all below as the wheels of the caravan rumbled forward. Eventually, as the afternoon progressed, the walls of the city rose up ahead of them. Great watchtowers capped with war machines stood either side of huge, brass-bound doors the height of several men, drawn back to allow the flow of people in and out the hot sweat of labouring men and beasts of burden rose up sourly from the throng. Chains chinked and wooden axles groaned as cartwheels rolled forward. Some soldiers, their spiked iron caps rimmed with green silk and their long dark military moustaches twitching, rode up and down the river of people, frowning as they surveyed strangers and dragging back tarpaulins covering the wagons to inspect the contents for contraband. Suspicious-looking individuals, or whole parties, were taken aside and questioned in detail, their quivering fear the best indication of their innocence. The thief pulled down his black headscarf and sat up straight in his seat. He grew a merry smile and calmly held the eye of anyone whose glance he met. A pretty girl in blue silk with a straw basket on her head covered her mouth and giggled at his wink, then turned away to become lost in the crowd. A soldier wheeled his horse around by the side of the caravan and examined him closely. The thief bowed his head respectfully. The soldier grunted, then pulled on his horse's reins and moved on. Carts full of rag-dressed refugees were stopped outside the gate, soldiers shaking their heads at the tears and the pleading voices. The Bedouin caravan was waved past and through the passage and entered a wide open area. Mature palms, heavy with darkening amber fruit, lined the sides of the plaza. In the centre were market stalls and tents pitched in rows. The crowd thinned by measures as it dissolved into the streets and lanes of the city, but the main square bubbled with the raised voices of many tongues. Several men in long white robes with haughty expressions of disdain for the milling pedestrians were returning from hunting, riding exquisite grey stallions, each worth a hundred camels. On their fists were hooded falcons. Worth even more. The Bedouin guards dismounted and helped the camel driver force his reluctant animals to their knees. The thief dismounted from the caravan and approached the leader of the Bedouin, a leathery skinned man with flecks of grey in his beard. Thanks for taking care of us on our travels. I doubt we'd have gained entrance to the city without you. The thief inclined his head slightly and placed his hand on his heart, in the manner he'd heard was respectful in these lands. The Bedouin leader laughed, a gap-toothed grin. You speak well, Northman, and I would say that your manners will be well received here, yet I see mischief in your face, and expect you will find trouble anyway. The thief grinned back, and took the offered brown hand in a firm shake, Older man's smile faded as his weather beaten face creased. Be careful here, young one. A big city has big rats, maybe bigger than you are expecting, maybe too big to handle for you. The thief shrugged and waved him away, then struck out across the souk. The brightly patterned median rugs with their intricate weavings held no interest for him but a dusky-eyed girl, working at a stall piled with rolls of coloured cafe silk, met his gaze. She held it, slowly blinking her dark lashes at him for a long minute, before sweeping her head away imperiously with a swish of her long black hair, as if she had been insulted. He laughed softly to himself. He'd played that game of chase often. Maybe he would return later. He took a second look at the sweep of her neck. Perhaps. The next stall shaded a small stocky man who had the air of an Easterner about his narrow eyes and was stirring a broad copper dish several feet in width heaped with rice and meat and vegetables. The rice was stained yellow with saffron and turmeric and the alluring steam made the thieves' stomach rumble people paid with small silver coins and seated themselves on round stitched cushions to enjoy a bowl of the delicacy. The thief turned away and pushed through the deeper crowds where the stalls had been placed in tight rows. The merchants had striped awnings over the wooden frames to shade themselves and their merchandise and they stroked their fruits and carpets and bales of cloth as they called out praises to the quality of their stock. A gaunt young boy, shoeless and ragged, and beneath the sight of those that haggled for the best prices, delicately reached between two bovine bodies pressed together. His hand came back, clutching a pear, and as the boy turned around, his teeth falling into the fruit's flesh, he saw the thief Watching, and his shoulders stiffened as the colour drained from his face. The thief winked at the boy, then moved deeper into the crowds. Bodies of different races were packed shoulder to shoulder and jostling. The thief slipped a tiny moon crescent blade from its hiding place between the two leather layered straps that made up his belt. Only a missing inch of frayed stitching was a clue to the secret. There were several more frayed gaps around the circumference of the belt. He held the cut purse between his first and second fingers, the gleaming blade inwards. He gently eased his way past a portly fellow, well dressed in a fine red and blue robe, their bellies rubbing as they passed. The thief's head scanned from behind to in front, and the portly fellow's encouragingly heavy purse fell neatly into his hand, its rawhide strings cut. The loose swinging arm that caught the purse continued its arc and his hand slipped inside his tunic, depositing his prize. He paused for a moment to admire a carefully tooled and engraved Byzantium teapot, but when the stallholder began chattering negotiations, The thief shook his head and moved away with a false sigh of regret. He pushed through the crowd into a quieter street, then into the shadows behind a storage house where he could get some privacy. He teased open the tie at the top of the purse and poured the coins into his hand. Mostly copper, but a few good silver pieces. That rice stew was the first on the list. "'That was smoothly done, boy!' His heart skipped a beat. The end of the alley was blocked by four men, three about his size, maybe smaller, one a great deal bigger and without the smirking grin of his fellows. They all had nondescript dark clothes, the kind you'd notice least as people passed you in a city with so many wearing bright silks and wools. Their leader had a shaven head and one milky eye and was toying with the hilt of a curved sword at his waist. Two of the others leaned against thick wooden staves and the big man slipped his fingers through a pair of metal bands that looked as heavy as blacksmith's hammers, then flexed his fists. "'I'm fairly sure you've been operating without licence, boy,' Milky's voice rolled the words, an accent that the thief could not place. Licence? I, I meant no disrespect. Just needed a few coins to feed my empty belly. If there's someone I must pay. Ah, a country boy, that explains it. The four of the men shared a laugh and sneered at the thief. The big one with the metal knuckles kept on laughing after the others ceased until the milk eye gave him a shove to stop. Listen boy, I'm in an uncommonly good mood today. Milk eye walked over to the thief, plucked the coin purse from between unprotesting fingers and held it open under the thief's scooped handful of coins. He raised the eyebrow over his milky eye, and with a sigh, the thief poured the newly-won coins back into the stolen purse. Here's what we'll do for you, boy, seeing as it's your first day in the city, and as a measure of justice to your tender years. We'll give you a thorough beating, so everyone can see you've been properly warned, and we'll leave you alive. The thief sighed and nodded. The first pole driven into his stomach took the wind out of him and he collapsed to his knees. A ringing blow to his head from the big one with the metal bands on his fists sent him crashing face first into the dust. He tried to tuck up into a ball to protect his face as the kicks and clubbing blows rained down on him. The hammer strike from the butt of a staff which cracked a rib, made him cry out, exposing him to another kick, which split his cheek. The men pulled back and leered at him as they chuckled. He crawled painfully to hands and knees and looked up at them, one eye already starting to swell up, black and puffy, blood and sand stuck to his cheek. So there you have it, boy, your lucky day. Find yourself some youthful employment or push off back up north. It's all the same to me. But let me catch you thieving around here without a license and I'll stab you in the eyes. Got it? milk squatted down to look the thief closely in the face, then punched him hard in the mouth, leaving a trail of blood. The Thief wheezed and nodded, which seemed to satisfy the men, each of whom took the time to spit on him before sauntering off. He stared at the dirt, watching the drips of blood slow, then stop. With a gasp of pain, he forced himself to his feet, clutching his side and wincing. Breathing hurt, and there was a sharp jab with each lungful. He staggered out from behind the storehouse and limped back into the market. Past some wicker cage squabbling chickens, he saw a stall with a long bench in front of it, a large iron stew pot set behind and was tended by a heavy set chesty woman in her forties. On the bench were seated poorly dressed people in simple clothes and most without shoes spooning up soup from plain wooden bowls. My sort of establishment, he thought, with a rueful half-smile. He sat down on the bench with another grit-toothed wince and fished inside his tunic for his purse. It chinked limply only once as he drew out his second-to-last copper coin with a sigh and slid it along the table to the chesty woman, she caught the coin and hid it in her apron, tilting her head on one side as she examined him. That's a nasty cut. What happened to you? Are you all right? She poured a scoop of watery soup into a wooden bowl, and then, with a glance back at him, she added a second scoop. She stuck a spoon into the bowl and handed it to him with a smile. I'm fine. He sipped at the soup gingerly as a hot, hot, softy broth stung his split lip. I fell over and hit my head. The chesty woman crossed her arms in front of her primary assets and stuck her chin out. I'd say it looks like you fell over several times in a row. He spluttered on his soup, then smiled at her. Yeah, tricky things to negotiate. Floors, I mean. Her scowl softened and she poured a bowl of water from a terracotta pitcher and moistened a cloth in it. Come here, let me clean that. He put down his spoon and turned his bloody cheek to her. He made no sound other than a few rapid intakes of breath through his nose when she wiped a raw area. Thank you. You don't need to thank someone for a few drops of water. The thief's expression grew dark as he looked down at his bowl. I've seen people dying of thirst and denied a few drops from them that have it. An old man dressed in little more than a rags, sitting to the left, tapped the thief's bowl with his spoon for attention. The low people of this city do their best to look out for each other. We have enough to worry about with the extra taxes and tolls and all the new laws the Sultan decrees. The soup matron sighed and settled herself down on the bench across the table. The old Sultan wasn't so bad. We had security and the taxes were bearable. People didn't starve and weren't dragged from the beds by the Sultan's guards at night, never to be seen again. You have a new sultan? The old sultan died three years ago. Nineveh ceased its skirmishing out of respect and has not attacked us since then. The sultan's son, Mithridates, was always soft and cared only for his wines and his courtesans. We thought when he became ruler that he'd stay the same. Within weeks, however, he'd changed everything. New taxes on everything we needed, and any dissenters were taken away to be put to death, or worse. Why did he seem to change so unexpectedly then? Who knows? The nobles have everything, and we have so little. Yet we bear the burden of the taxes, and the harsh labour, and they still want more. Maybe the power went to his head. I hear the only vizier um, Arshon, that intercedes with him on our behalf, or things would even be worse. She looked down and wrung her hands, and with a sigh got up to serve a new customer. The thief scraped out the last of his spoon, then licked out the bowl. He stood up and caught the matron's eye and blew her a kiss. She blushed and waved him away with a tut, as he grinned and hobbled away, holding his injured side. He wandered through the streets as afternoon became evening, and the roasting arid heat of the day rapidly gave way to the desert's chill. The cloudless skies retained little of the day's warmth overnight, and he unrolled his cloak, slung it across his shoulders, and pulled the hood up. The rhythms and sounds of the city changed with the hours, as did the people he passed on the streets. No more children were seen, and few women travelled unescorted. With little else to do, he padded looping routes through the quarter, learning the shortcuts and the dead ends, memorising which flat roof was an easy jump to another. As soon as the only people out walking were either making their way to or from noisy taverns, their tempting warm golden lights spilling out the doorways or from the cracks around shuttered shops, he slipped behind a bolted-up shop and climbed up on the barrels so he could get onto the roof. He hissed tight-lipped as a pain in his side, throbbing all evening, flared up sharply but he kept his grip and hauled himself up. It was a different view of the city, more powerful and commanding. Usually it was a secret world looking down on the common roots, but unlike other places he'd been, he saw signs of life on the rooftops. There were massive earthenware pots with grapevines growing from them. Their tendrils coiled about frames to make shelters stone-bred ovens with a scent of charcoal still clinging to them, and large clay storage jars that were clustered in corners. The narrower of the streets below were completely dark, but the wider ones had lamps hung from arches that pierced the interior walls of the city that separated the various quarters. Striped awnings projected from most of the homes and shops in the day they gave the relief of shade, but now cast dark pockets of secrecy. Faintly came the warbling of a priestess of the moon god, Sin, calling the faithful to their evening prayers. The smell of wood fires was stronger than its street level, and the breeze carried the scent to him as it gently swirled around the giant pillar at the centre of the city. He began his trading anew, afraid the days idle in the caravan or the cracked rib would slow him down. He took a few quick steps, then vaulted off the roof onto its neighbour, with only a walkway between them, and touched down in a soft crouch, deep so that the momentum was absorbed over a longer compression period and the landing quieter. His ribs hurt, but with fluid movements he could just bear it without gasping aloud. The next leap, a longer one, and up half a level, he thrust off the low step wall of the flat roof and into the air, legs pumping forward. Get the edge catch, grab the stone. He made the catch, fingertips gripping tight, but his body swung forward awkwardly and he crashed into the wall, then slid down, nails scrabbling against the whitewashed stones and he crumbled to the ground. Clenched teeth, watery tears flecking his cheeks, he clutched his damaged side. Pushing too far this time, need a day or two to lie low and keep out of trouble. He forced himself to his feet, leaning against the wall and gasping short lungfuls, each breath a searing stab in his side. He felt his cheeks heat up and redden. Lucky for him, no one had seen the fall. There were raised voices around the corner, drunken, lowing and heavy, uneven, stumbling footsteps. Several men, aggressive, harsh and guttural voices. Then another voice higher, weak and wavering. The thief sighed and shook his head. Don't get involved in other people's problems. You have enough of your own. He slid along the wall, shadow side of the street, and peeked around the corner. Three men, broad-shouldered backs to him, had someone cornered, someone pleading. The thief began to assess them by the cadence in their voices. Nothing clever to say today, old man. One of your sarcastic phrases. You worked for the Sultan, didn't you? I say you're a spy. The one wearing his hair and a long braid down his back raised his fist and shook it menacingly. His companions cackled. They were all swaying and their voices were slurred. A word to the wise is enough. I've nothing to say to you, ruffians, the old man was trying to sound tough, to face down the bullies, but his voice cracked with the effort. A word to the vice, eh? You're saying I'm stupid? A fat fist clenched and drew back. Then the thief was behind the bully, wrenching his head back by the braid. A broad-bladed knife was at the outstretched throat the weight of the blade alone enough to draw a droplet of crimson, glistening in the dark. The man stank of cheap wine and fear. His companions ceased their hooting and backed away, wide-eyed. The thief leaned close to the ear of his motionless captive. Try this one. A fool and his head are soon parted. Nobody moved a muscle and they stood there listening to each other breathe. The short, half-gasps of a man with a knife at his throat, the rush, panting of his companions, and the slow, steady breathing of the man in black. The thief stepped back, releasing the braid. His knife arm dropped to his side. This dance is over. Leave. Now. The three drunks exchanged darting glances but the man with a trickle of blood running down his neck shook his head and they ran off into the gloom of another street. The old man stepped out from the shadows stooped with age and barely reaching chest height to the thief. He had a close-cropped stubbly grey beard and a dark brown deeply creased face. He wore a knitted skull cap with a green and orange and white pattern, and pulled a cloak closer around his shoulders. The fingers that drew it were twisted and scarred, as if they'd suffered a terrible shattering, and he managed the simple task with difficulty. I owe you my thanks, stranger, though by your cool demeanour I wonder if I should not be more scared of you than of those thugs. The thief shrugged but said nothing. The old man squinted at his rescuer, a hook-claw finger scratching his chin as he made his decision. You look like you haven't eaten well for some weeks, young man. Will you take some bread and meat with me, as my thanks? I've little of value, but maybe some food and company will warm you on a cold night like this. The thief made his own instinctive threat assessment measurement zero. He nodded, and despite the throbbing of his injuries, he forced a close-lipped smile. The old man grinned and flashed back a reasonable number of remaining teeth for a man of his age. Come on then, lad, back to my place. I may even find a dusty bottle of wine. Maybe a few cups will loosen that tongue of yours. The thief thought of wine and food and a genuine smile creased his cheeks. Stay tuned for the next episode of the Craft of Shadows podcast. More details at craftofshadows.com. Copyright 2020, Divush Basiti and Victo Publishing. Title music by Turku, Nomads of the Silk Road, at turkumusic.com.